You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Welcome to the December episode of the CEO Podcast with Washington Hospitality Association President and CEO Anthony Antone. This month, Anthony sits down with Director of Local Government Affairs, John Lane, and Local Government Affairs Senior Manager, Austin Miller. The three discuss local elections throughout the states and issues such as local minimum wages the team has been seeing spring up over the last couple of years. You can find links to the programs and issues discussed in the show notes. Thank you to our sponsor, Hospitality Health Insurance. And now, here's Anthony. Oh, holy cow! It's December. Welcome to our holiday podcast. Uh, We are excited to have you here today uh, listening. We're also excited that we just had a pretty good November in local government affairs. And our local government affairs team, Austin Miller and uh, John Lane, I should say two of our uh, seven-member local government affairs team, will be on our podcast later today to talk about some of those election results and a couple of other exciting developments in local government affairs. Before we get to that, as always, I want to get you an update on our four pillars and the value that we're offering. As you know, on our best day, we offer four things to you on the industry. We want to provide you a great ROI on your membership. We want to be your primary source of information. We want to protect and enhance your business climate. And we want to illuminate the career pathways in our industry. Let's start with the last one with the Education Foundation. Under our podcast notes, we will list our latest industries, uh, which is the image we're going to base a lot of our work to recruit people to the industry in. And so if you can take a look at that industry and, and, and provide us feedback, if that looks right, if it's missing anything, if it works for you, uh, we will be doing those regionally eventually. So this is just a statewide version but please look for that in your podcast notes. This is a big part of our project to really recruit people and educate people that we have great jobs in our industry. On being your primary source of information, one of the best things that we do with our partnership with the National Restaurant Association is every five years, there's an operational survey that talks about what costs are doing in the industry. It's called the NRA uh, National Restaurant Association's Operations Survey. You can find a link in the podcast description. What this gives us is a third-party source on what the average profit margin is in our industry and what's going on with labor costs and food costs and other big things. If we can get 100 filled out right here in Washington, we can have a Washington State-specific operation survey, which is incredibly valuable to all of our teams, both information, so you can download the final report and, uh, and use it for your own awareness here in Washington, Also, in talking to public officials and educators about the tight margins in our industry and some of the challenges that we're facing. So please, if you can, uh, grab that link and fill out the full operations survey so we can try to produce a Washington-only report. And then on providing an ROI, we just had our great conference a couple weeks ago in Seattle. And at that conference, we unveiled our new 401k programs through our HR Solutions Suite. Please check that out. We also rolled out a new program for business loans and FICA gratuity credits. Three new things for you to take advantage of and continue to get a great ROI in your membership. 
All that being said, that fourth pillar, government affairs, which a lot of you think about more often than you'd like, we're going to give you an update of what's going on on the local government affairs side after this message from our sponsor. Thank you to our sponsor, Hospitality Health Insurance. Hospitality Health Insurance, formerly known as HiHIT, is the exclusive benefits trust for employers and employees who work in the hospitality industry. Hospitality Health Insurance leverages the group buying power of the Washington Hospitality Association to negotiate and deliver affordable, flexible insurance offerings with statewide coverage. Welcome back, everybody, from the break. For the first time, and I don't know why it's the first time, we have our local government affairs team here. John Lane, our uh, director of local government affairs, and Austin Miller, our senior manager of government affairs for King County, Seattle. We're going to talk a little bit about our most recent elections and how that might impact the hospitality world, as well as uh, with time remaining, some of the key issues we're facing at the local level and what people might prepare for given in 2024. So welcome, Austin and John. Appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So John, give us the overall recap. Uh, so I think down in Tacoma, we're 50-50 in, in candidates that we endorsed in races um, on the city council, but overall the council remains in a, in a moderate position, and I think we're in good shape there. We've had good relationships with Tacoma City Council over the years, and I think those will continue. Looking in Burien, where we engaged, uh, where there was a real, uh, we've been doing a lot of work on the minimum wage issue down there, there is a real chance for there to be a flip that could have really been uh, harmful to our members, potentially. Uh, but we were endorsed in three of those races, and all three of our endorsed candidates uh, succeeded, and so that maintains a, a moderate majority in Burien, which is, is good for us moving forward, and especially as we work on other issues in King County. Um, out in Spokane, we did not endorse in any of the races, but we interviewed the mayoral finalists and council president. And you know there is a change in mayor there, but we feel like we're well positioned to work with mayor-elect. Uh, and the council president race is a current council member who supported our 15% cap, um, and so we're in a good spot there as well. We think working with that relationship. Up in Bellingham, unfortunately, the minimum wage issue there did pass, and so we'll have to work with members about getting information for implementation. Uh, just so folks know, um, starting May 1st, 2024, uh, Bellingham City minimum wage will be a dollar above the state minimum wage. And the following year, May 1st, 2025, we'll move up to $2 above the state minimum wage, and then it will just kind of track $2 above the state minimum wage moving forward each January. Thank you, John. Uh, appreciate that. Get more into the, uh, the individual races and as, as we go. But let's switch over to our biggest city here in Washington. I'll just, Austin, give us, give us an update of what happened with the city elections when all the absentees were finally counted and we, we got to the uh, the end of the of the race. Absolutely, yes. Exciting times here in Seattle. It was a, a big, big um, election year for us. We had all seven of the districts uh, on council up for, for election uh, and had one of the citywide uh, electeds also seeking uh, election in King County. And so in reality, there were potentially eight seats that could be changing this year, uh, which would be a significant change for not only our sitting mayor, Mayor Harrell, but our, our recently elected council member, Sarah Nelson, uh, both who've been big advocates for our, for our community. And so we had an opportunity to really shift 
council, especially considering there were four council members that were not seeking re-election. So we were definitely going to have a change in our, our representation and had a really, really good election. Um, starting in District 1, we supported and were able to see uh, Rob Saka become the council member elect there. And that will be replacing Lisa Herbold. So that is a net benefit for, for our members and for our community overall as we continue to advocate for uh, hospitality-friendly policies. In District 2, one of the few council members that were able to remain on council, Council Member Morales, did slightly beat out Tanya Wu, who was seeking election, but just barely. So that was still a very close race. One of the, the biggest uh, benefits of this election in many ways, uh, regardless of <laughs> your politics, is in District 3, Councilmember Sawant was not seeking re-election, so we were able to uh, not only remove uh, her from the council moving forward, but also elect Joy Hollingsworth, who we had supported throughout the general election and who will be another uh, pickup for us and our, our members. In District 4, Councilmember Peterson uh, was not seeking re-election. He had been a big, big advocate for us, and we needed to retain that seat, and we were able to do so through our support for Maritza Rivera. She has a very narrow uh, lead, but is expected to be the, the council member elect. And then up in District 5, Council President Juarez also did not seek re-election. And so that was another crucial seat that we needed to defend, and we were able to do so with uh, former Judge Kathy Moore. Moving to District 6, we had a member of our own, Pete Hanning, running, and unfortunately, he was not able to, to beat out the, the sitting council member, Dan Strauss. Although Dan may be a bit of a swing boat moving forward, he has certainly seen the writing on the wall, the shift in what our community is looking for, and has done a really good job positioning himself not only on public safety, but has actually been an advocate for us on a couple of issues, including our outdoor dining policies throughout the pandemic that were made permanent. And he has, you know, kind of shift and understood that he needs to align himself with, with the mayor if he wants to be politically successful. Um, so I think all in all, that will still be a vote that we can we can push for moving forward. And then in District 7, uh, although we did not directly engage, there was a pretty significant push to see if we could unseat uh, the sitting council member, Andrew Lewis, and uh, that push was successful. And so Bob Kettle is the council member elect in District 7. So overall, if you look at the math of just this election outside of the citywide, we're looking at probably a six council majority for kind of a more moderate space, one swing vote, and then one progressive vote uh, with, with council member Morales. And then as I mentioned, uh, citywide, council member Mosqueda did win her election to King County Council, which means there will be an appointment process in January with the new council to replace that seat. And uh, we anticipate that there will also be a more moderate candidate to replace there, which actually gives us probably a seven, one and one uh, realistically. So a really big opportunity in Seattle to, to move the needle uh, and have a kind of a business friendly climate for the first time in a long time. I think it's important for members to understand that this was also the culmination of a multi-year effort that had, we had seen, you know, strong investment from our members into elections in Seattle eight years ago and slowly built over time to, to get to this result that happened this election cycle. So part of this too is just sort of the, you know, a real success story of like a multi-year engagement here. John, outside Seattle, let's talk about some of the issues there. This summer felt like the popcorn effect of minimum wage and, and other issues that we've been afraid of for many years 
kind of happened. There were four or five, I don't know how many there was. It felt like a lot of different minimum wage concepts and proposals and people mumbling. Did this election have an effect on any of those? And what do we, what's the status of some of those? And what do we see moving into 2024 on, on those issues? I think looking back sort of two years ago with the Tukwila initiative, and so that won by a large margin. And so that sort of created this kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of copycat effect a little bit. So Transit Riders Union looking to do something in Renton, put something on the initiative uh, on the ballot. Um, I think that's kind of what inspired what happened up in Bellingham. Then Burien had kind of been looking at this issue for a while. Now King County and Austin can talk more directly about that at the county level, kind of looking at unincorporated. So I think there is quite a bit of energy around minimum wage right now because a lot of folks are feeling the affordability challenges out there. And so it's sort of always been kind of tied in this uh, discussion of, well, if things are unaffordable out there, then we need to raise the minimum wage. Um, and that the statement of wage isn't meeting it in, uh, with the needs of folks in particular areas uh, in our larger urban areas. And so that's kind of what's drive our expensive markets kind of like Bellingham. I think we'll continue to see some of this into the next year. And my team is keeping a close eye on this. But I will say, I think the election, like particularly in, in Burien, provides an opportunity to maybe get a workable, more workable alternative. I think Oscar can talk about some of the success we've had recently in, in King County. Late, late summer, early fall, there was a kind of out of the blue uh, announcement by Councilmember Zahalai in King County to propose an ordinance that would raise the minimum wage in unincorporated King County to at least what they announced as 1899 for largest businesses 500 or larger and then a uh, dollar less for kind of media sized businesses 16 to 499 and then two dollars less for businesses 15 or smaller uh, with net revenue of 20 uh, two million dollars as we did some more research on that announcement it actually turned out the way the the legislation was written was the inflation factor would kick in immediately in 2024 and the start date for the proposal was also January 1st of 2024, which is, you know, just weeks away from now. So in reality, it would have been a minimum wage of $20.29, which would have been the highest minimum wage in the country for unincorporated areas. The baseline reasoning for this was there are certain areas in unincorporated King County, like White Center or Skyway, that abut um, either Seattle or other jurisdictions that have raised their minimum wage, and they've the claim is that you know those areas are being priced out and need uh, to be more affordable. And we certainly don't disagree with the affordability challenge in King County or in our state. Uh, and would be advocating that there needs to be uh, additional work on our housing stock. But regardless of that, um, we had been told by the council that there would be a robust stakeholder engagement process in advance of anything moving forward. And then very quickly, that unfortunately was not the case. There was an initial committee meeting uh, in mid-October in which they discussed the proposal um, and outlined some of these concerns. Other concerns being there was no particular enforcement mechanism for King County uh, and that there may be enforced either by a outside body or have to create an Office of Labor Standards for King County, as well as some challenges around how the service charge was defined. As originally written, service charges could not be retained by the business, but had to be paid out to the employee in full along with tips, but did not count towards the minimum wage. 
so there, you know, just some, some pretty significant concerns that did not align with how other minimum wages were written, did not align with the state. And so we've been doing some, some work between uh, October and now, but just last week, there was another committee meeting on the 17th, which we anticipated originally that they were going to be voting out of committee and moving this in a very quick process to full council to pass before the end of the year. But thanks to the great work of uh, not only our government affairs team, but so many of our fantastic members, we had a letter that was sent to outline our concerns, which was signed by 165 uh, members. And we also had uh, a large number of members turn out to give public comment, either virtually or in person, along with uh, some members from the agricultural and farmer community that also shared concerns. And with, with that uh, big turnout to, to share concerns, we were able to slow this process the committee decided not only to not take action at committee last week for a vote, but to not move this forward until uh, next year at the earliest. That means that two of the prime sponsors, Councilmember Cole Wells and Councilmember McDermott, will actually no longer be on council. They, their terms end at the end of the year, and they are being replaced by current City Council Member Teresa Mosqueda and then Jorge Barone. I don't know if that is, it's probably a net neutral at best in the change of the makeup of King County Council but it is an opportunity for us to continue to educate those two new council members on what the unintended consequences of this ordinance would have and that there needs to be additional stakeholder engagement before they move forward. We are advocating that this does not take effect until 2025 at the earliest start at the $1899 amount that they announced originally and not have inflation kick in until 2026. Bottom line, great job by your team. Cause I think a lot of people saw this in front of that county council and said, well, good luck, but they're going to do what they're going to do, and you're not going to be able to get a reasonable shake. And so I think, Austin, the fact that you and Skyler and your team were able to get our members listened to and have a chance for a deeper conversation wherever this ends up in the, in the end, I think is a big statement towards uh, the leadership that your team showed. And so huge thanks uh, from the industry to, to move this so we can have a slower, more deliberate dialogue about what the right approach is. So one, appreciate that very much. I, and it's underscored by the number of chambers of commerce that reached out to us in that last week and said, we don't have your capacity to do your grassroots. How do we jump in and help? And now that we have those offers, I think going into a, a longer conversation, maybe our coalition can you know, go beyond just hospitality, which I'm looking forward to. But I think it's a statement that all these other chambers said when we needed help, we, they turned to us. And so thank you for putting us just in that position. Uh, Anthony, I think another critical component to the success and, and the testimony of last week was that we had a lot of employees that came out to talk directly about the impact and how uh, total compensation or tip credit would be an important component, and that employee voice, voice was really critical. Uh, and that was the direct result of one of our members who really sitting down and just having an honest conversation with their staff about this is what's going to happen if this passes and, and the, the actions that, that we'll have to take. King County wasn't the only place you had this conversation, Austin. I believe there was also action in Renton. What's the status of that going into 2024? So Renton uh, went a little bit different route. They went, uh, they're starting with signature gathering to make this an initiative. They had tried to do this in 2023 and failed to collect the, the needed signatures for a ballot in November. But uh, led by the Transit Riders Union, they went back out and collected more signatures for 
Is it a February election? Yeah, I believe that's, I'd have to confirm that. More to come in Renton uh, as we get clarity on what the council may do, but um, they're taking kind of the, the process that is a little bit more uh, grassroots resident driven uh, by the community outside of uh, the elected body. So can you talk about what we have going on in Spokane and the new hire? And then some of the things we'll be talking to our, our membership outside of Spokane County and King County about how we deal with local government affairs issues. Yeah, uh, we have uh, approached the Spokane region a couple of different ways over the years. Most recently, the last couple of years, we've had a contractor, but we decided that we would go back to having a full-time staff member over there. So we've hired a local government affairs manager, Derek Baziotis, who uh, is an operator uh, over there and has been involved with the association on the local chapter board and on the state board. So we're really excited. Derek started with us on November 2nd and has jumped right in there. And uh, you know we're looking forward to some uh, great representation for all of our members over in the, the Spokane um, County area. Um, and then, you know, we've been working on issues in, in other areas, uh, but we are kind of limited um, in some kind of how much direct representation we can do in areas where we don't have sort of dedicated staff. Uh, but our team is always willing to work with operators in any area where an issue pops up that is of you know, significant industry uh, concern. And then also, you know, just the day-to-day -day stuff where we're willing to kind of help out and, and advise and give advice where we can. Well, and then I think you kind of gave me the lead a little bit on this. Uh, if you're in an area where you're worried about a lot of local issues happening, the reality is our ability to cover everywhere in the state is limited without um, other stuff. So call us and engage us about solutions. Um, I always compare this to uh, having a fire station, right? You want a fire station and a fire truck before your house is on fire. What you don't want to do is call us and say, hey, my house is on fire. Can you, can you go buy a fire truck, order one, build a fire station, train three people and get it over here by noon to put my fire out? The government affairs doesn't work that way. I think one of the reasons we're seeing progressions in Seattle is this has been an eight, nine year consistent effort towards a dialogue that more engages local businesses. So if you're worried about your community, um, reach out to John or myself or, or your local TM and say, I'd like to start a conversation because we're trying to figure out how to, 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 to get a fire station to your area too. Austin, this, you know, you and are, you are on our podcast very often. In fact, I think this is your first time. Anything else you want to share uh, with our membership going into 2024 to put on their radar screen or, or what else can they do to help you? You know, I, I think nothing, nothing that we need to call out specifically. I think there's just an opportunity here um, with the new council to really educate everyone about how our industry impacts not only the economy, but our, our community as you know, gathering spaces and places that bring, you know, people from all over the world in our hotels and in our restaurants. And we, you know, our lifeblood. And so think of this as an opportunity to really be able to reframe and tell our story. And so the more you can engage with with the team myself, John, uh, and our, our territory managers to, to reach out, the more we can get you connected with our elected officials and, and really make this the, the best hospitality climate we possibly can. Well, we'll go ahead and put in the podcast notes how they can sign up for your grassroots program in Seattle and King County. And as these conversations go on board, we can loop them in. John, how about outside King County? So I don't know that we know of any major industry impactful issues 
happening in any other area of the state. But we do know, as we mentioned here today, you know, people get ideas from other areas. I think our biggest ask is our members are our eyes and ears on the ground. And so as they hear things, please let us know the earlier we can get engaged, the better. Um, you know, we do our best to try and keep an eye on and hear what's going on in different areas, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's the local members that are going to hear about it before us. So that's what I think could be most helpful to us. I think that's a great point because unlike the legislature, right, where there's a set time where they can introduce bills, there's a set time where they can hear a bill that's published very publicly and we're all aware, the cities and county councils can wake up on a Wednesday and say, we want to outlaw the color of purple starting next month in, in, in all things where we go and then pass it the next day, right? And we really, they probably have thought about it in quiet councils or asked around their community, but there's no place for us to keep up on it. So please, if you hear something in our community, don't assume that John automatically knows, shoot us an email or reach out and be part of the network that's our radar. John and Austin, thanks for all your hard work and, and not only you, but for the rest of your team that's not here, Brooke and Derek and Skylar and Autumn and Gosh, I'm probably missing someone else too, but uh, they work really hard on, on our members' behalf and, and we appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. With that, I want to thank uh, you for listening today and thank our sponsor for being with us. It's an honor to serve you. Thanks again to our sponsor, Hospitality Health Insurance, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. Be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.